Hello and welcome to Fatima Today. This show is produced by the World Apostle of Fatima USA, Our Lady's Blue Army, and brings topics to you, our viewers, related to the events in the world today. We live in tumultuous times when logic seems to have disappeared and uncertainty hangs over us. Our hope on these programs is to address the issues of the day and find solutions through adherence to the laws of God, especially through the message of Fatima. We ask that you subscribe to this podcast. Hello and welcome to Fatima Today. I'm your host, David Carollo. In 2022, the overturning of the infamous 1973 Roe v. Wade decision of the Supreme Court was hailed as a great victory for the pro-life cause, as well it should have been. Many saw the battle as having been won. 49 years after the court decision, there was a feeling that most Americans were in fact pro-life statistics showed was the case when this decision was handed down. Half century later, however, inundated with an anti-life culture, this has proven perhaps not to be the case today. Now it seems that most people have bought into the idea that choice is the operable argument. Many are, if not supportive of abortion and other questionable practices of life, at least indifferent regarding this. The fact that these practices end or prevent life does not enter into the equation for many. The forces determined to enshrine these things as rights and law were ready for this day. On the side of life, there have been those who have also made great strides introducing pro-life actions around the nation. One such person is my guest today. Michael New is a political scientist and visiting professor at Catholic University of America and an associate scholar at Charlotte Lozier Institute, the Susan B. Anthony List. With the defeat of issue one in Ohio, we hope to get a perspective on the pro-life strategy going forward from our guests. Welcome, Michael. Oh, thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Yeah, thanks for being here. And um, it was, I, I don't know, I don't think that was too surprising uh, what occurred in Ohio the other day. Perhaps you have a different perspective on it. Um, I, um, I just, uh, what is your general feeling on that? I guess one of the battlegrounds, obviously, that you fight in. Well, I mean, it was a disappointment and a setback. Um, you know, I was not sure what to expect, to be honest. The fact it lost didn't surprise me. I mean, one thing I know from studying direct democracy and ballot propositions is that people who are undecided tend to vote no in the end, more likely than not. So the polls showed it was close, um, kind of indicated to me that it was probably likely to lose. And, you know, there was a big poll of undecided voters. And again, we know from just past initiative campaigns that when people are undecided, they tend to vote no more likely than not. So I wasn't really you know, shocked by the outcome. You know, I do want to shout out the Ohio pro-lifers who did work hard. You know, money was raised. A campaign was run. There was a good rally on Sunday featuring Abby Johnson, uh, Bishop Strickland and Jim Caviezel. Uh, right. So, uh, you know, Ohio pro-lifers certainly uh, did their part and, uh, you know, did work hard to try and get this through. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're not, uh, as I always tell my pro-life friends, we were never promised a smooth or easy glide path to victory. Uh, there's going to be setbacks, disappointments, aggravation along the way. Uh, but none of us signed up for the pro-life movement because we thought it would be easy. Yeah, that's for sure. And that's really what it's all about. I think that, I mean, as Catholics, we understand that. I mean, our mission, our message is through, I mean, we as the, the World Apostle of Fatima founded as the Blue Army many years ago. We're not per se a pro-life group. We're a Catholic group. And as, as that, we are pro-life and pro-life across the board. I mean, and that's really what it comes down to. Uh, my wife and I, for many years, have had an association with Little Sisters of the Poor. 
So we have been very much involved in, in the life, you know, issues. Uh, I was on their board of advisors at one point and, and um, uh, you know, it, it's like life from conception to natural death. Well, you know, I, I, I'm afraid our society doesn't see it that way anymore. Um, and, and it's then the fight has been out there. And, but, but, you know, I, um, I felt that, you know, the overturning of Roe versus Wade again was really just the beginning in the pro-life battle. I mean, you know, for years, these politicians hid behind the prohibition on enacting legislation for life. You know, you know that better than I do. It was a comfortable time for them, as I see it, because they could say, no, I'm pro-life, but there's nothing I can do about this. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you've certainly been active in countering this. Uh, do you see this And uh, as I do? And are you now a more, you know, do you think we have a more truthful period, at least in the dialogue on this issue? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, I think that abortion was a very easy issue for pro-life politicians and pro-life elected officials. They could take a stance, uh, but at the end of the day, we knew that prior to Dobbs, Supreme Court would strike down, you know, most laws that really did provide protection for pre-born children. We could tinker at the margins. We could do things with funding. We could do things with parental involvement. We could do things with waiting periods. You know, these things are all pretty popular and widely supported, uh, but our pro-life politicians didn't really have to risk much for us. You know, again, they really couldn't do much that would be upheld by the Supreme Court. Now that's changed. You know, now we're kind of, uh, we're firing with real bullets and yeah. we can do certain things to protect pre-born children. And some people have stepped up. I mean, you know, in about 14 states, you know, pre-born children are protected, uh, depending on kind of the current status of litigation, there's probably three or four other states with uh, gestational age limits in place. Um, you know, there's going to be litigation that's going to be kind of hashed out about in some of these states. So, you know, we have had some people who've done the right thing. At the federal level, um, it's been, I think, disappointing. Uh, yeah. I think there's been a lot of Republicans, both at the House and Senate, not all, but many, who just want to pass us off to the states. You know, yeah. we did our job. You know, we got Roe v. Wade overturned. And we don't really see a federal role, or at least much of a federal role, in protecting pre-born children. And I think that's wrong. You know, I think that protecting the weak is vulnerable, is responsibility for all levels of government. So uh, you know, there's many Republicans, unfortunately, who just want to kick this off the states. You know, we're seeing, um, I think, in my opinion, a lot of confusion from the current group of Republican presidential candidates. You know, there are some that are willing to support a 15-week ban or other kinds of you know federal limits. Others aren't. And that's been disappointing. Obviously, the campaign, you know, is kind of just started that, you know, Iowa and New Hampshire are you know, months away. Uh, but it's just you know, a little bit disappointing. We're not seeing kind of more support, better support from our Republican elected officials. Yeah, I think that's really what it's about. I mean, there's just not uh, um, uh, everybody wants to get on the it's funny right now. I mean, let's say it, it was the Trump administration that that got, you know, got the, 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 the members of the Supreme Court that finally did this, you know, and um I think there's like such they're like looking at, at that whole administration trying to keep, uh, you know, a hand an arm's length away from it but without acknowledging the realities that it was during that time. And with the support of, of you know, the Republicans, primarily in Congress, who put put these people on the bench, allowed this to happen. And and I think, you know, but again, we, we it's hard to look at, you know, and again, to be too political is that, you know, it's like, you know, because there's many in the Republican Party also who really are not pro-life in their hearts. Okay? And I think, you know, that's, again, the battle that I think we fight is to get it into the hearts of people. You know, we're an apostle of prayer. And our apostolate is to get people to get in their hearts the idea to live in accord with the laws of God. And I think, you know, and that's, I think your your, your work in bringing in politicians, I hate the word politicians, but bringing in people into public office that have this, this fundamental belief 
in, you know, in, in the sanctity of life, I think is really, that's the battle all the way along. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I, and I know like in your work, like Susan B. Anthony in that, uh, with the list, you know, I'm sure you have certain criteria you look at, not just something that someone says I'm pro-life, right. But, but probably has to have some type of track record of being, you know, effective in what they're saying. Is that true? Well, you know, I don't really, I, don't, I kind of you know, the research and writing into things. I don't really make decisions about recruiting candidates or candidate endorsements. I mean, I will say that one strategically good idea that Susan B. Anthony has had since our inception is we're really interested in trying to help out pro-life women. You know, yeah. I think if, if men are the only people or at least the only elected officials speaking out of this issue, that the optics don't look good. You know, I think yeah. there's certainly an important role for men to play in this movement. But politically, it just helps out a lot if you know, women are speaking out, especially if women are taking the lead. So that's kind of one, I think, a good you know, idea we've had. And we have succeeded in getting many very strong pro-life women elected uh, to local offices, uh, to Congress, you know, and to the Senate. So yeah. that's, uh, you know, that's been a, a, you know, a, a blessing. So, and yeah, typically you know, there is a questionnaire kids have to fill out. You know, we do want to see a track record. You just can't jump it down and say, you know, me, me, I'm pro-life. No, we do want to see some evidence that you've voted that way or you've done some work to you know, advance the culture of life before uh, we offer you an endorsement or we offer you some financial support. Uh, again, we, uh, you know, again, I think that uh, you're right. There's many opportunistic people in politics. And I think as the Republican Party has just become more conservative, a lot of people have just adopted the pro-life stance out of expediency. And it's really not what they believe. And that means they're, you know, not willing to risk much for us or in some cases do much for us. So, and I think, you know, again, there are, I don't mean to dismiss all elected officials. There are some people in Congress who are very strong on this issue, who care a lot, who want to advance this issue and do certain things to, to build a culture of life. But it's important, you know, I think when we decide who to vote for and, uh, you know, who to support, that we really look for people who do, you know, truly care and aren't just taking this position out of political expediency. Yeah, and I think that's it. I, I mean, of course, I come from Chicago. And uh, last week I was at the Napa Institute and I had a nice conversation with Dan Lipinski, of course, who was the very last Democrat pro-life member of the House of Representatives, you know, and he went down. They took him down eventually after how many election cycles, you know, but you know what? He went down with with his chin up and said, you know, he's mm -hmm. not changed his pro-life position. And that was mm -hmm. it. And that was the that was the position that knocked him out. I think he was yep. pretty popular on other other issues. And um, and I give credit. We need people like that. OK, yep. on both sides of the aisle, to tell you the truth, who are there for principle, not necessarily because, again, my party's pro-life or mine is pro-choice, whatever, because because that's I think that's the problem, obviously, in our in our, our system of government. You know, uh, and I, I guess the, another question I have, you know, that obviously the Catholic Church has never strayed, you know, from the position of being pro-life. And that life must be protected from conception and national death, natural death. We understand that. But some in the church are weak on this, very much so. You know, and, you know, I mean, certainly we, we may be very loyal to the church. We're a public association of the faithful and all that. But I do see, you know, I, I think lack of, of strong leadership in putting back people, especially people identify as Catholic, some politicians, many, as we know, you know, um, how do you, how do you and how do you, your organizations look at that and how do you try to encounter that a little bit? I mean, as far as what you know, the church, um, you know, it's it's challenging. Um, you know, that I don't really see a lot of clergy or members of the hierarchy, you know, openly contradicting church teachings. Uh the disappointment that I and others often have is they don't prioritize the teachings yeah, exactly. of the sanctity of life issues. 
you know, I'm a cradle Catholic. Uh, my parents probably started making me go to mass when I was five or six. So I've been going to mass for about 40 years. If you kind of throw out special masses said uh, during either March or Life weekend or Spec Life Sunday, very rarely do I ever hear a priest uh, talk about abortion from the pulpit during a homily. I mean, it's probably been less than 10 times and probably honestly maybe less than five times. Again, excluding special masses said during March or Life weekend or Spec Life Sunday. Yeah. So again, I just wish, you know, our priests, our bishops, you know, would prioritize this more than they do. And we have some who are excellent. I mean, there are some who are very articulate, and there are some priests and bishops who do a terrific job. Uh, I just wish we had more of them. <laughs> well, that's the whole point. I mean, I think, you know, that's that's the, the, some of these people have to hear what you're doing, the positions you're taking are wrong, and for the sake of your soul, I need you to you, you need to change it. You know, and then they can decide do they stay within the bosom of the church or not. I think many people are hiding behind Catholicism or by their nominal Catholicism, which in fact, and, and that's just, and it's not just Catholics. I mean, it happens there are people in Protestant churches in the same thing. You know, they're, they're also triangulating in this type of thing. And, 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 you know, this is not a, this is not a Christian position. It's not, it's not just we as Catholics who look at that, but, but you've done some interesting things though. Um, for example, you know, uh, you, you promote a tax limitation amendments. I think mm -hmm. such yes. as the Colorado taxpayer bill of rights, I believe. Um, I, I guess, you know, it brings me back to that longstanding, uh, you know, Hyde Amendment. I, I had the honor of meeting Henry Hyde years ago, and, and he was animate about that, okay? Mm -hmm. And, I mean, of course, there were always organizations like Planned Parenthood who were able to, you know, triangulate around it by probably getting tax money for other things they do and then moving money into abortion. I, I, it, there's always been that type of thing. But, you know, I, I just wonder, you know, it, it, this is like... Uh, the reality is, you know, there's a public relations war that goes on out there and it's in that in that battle for life. And I think the financial thing is something that I mean, it chews at me as a taxpayer. It's bad enough these things are there, but the fact that I'm being forced to pay for it. Do you take that position as being strong where you have to, you know, keep that in the minds of people that they're not only doing this, forcing this, but taking your money to do it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a, a great, great talking point for us. I think that, you know, polling on taxpayer funding for elective abortions is something that most people clearly oppose. And there is a good, good body of research uh, that shows that. Uh, we have a lot of polling data on that. And, you know, I think that, you know, the pro-lifers in the 1970s were very wise to uh, prioritize this. I think in the aftermath of Roe v. Wade, uh, we knew we probably couldn't overturn Roe in the short term. But we wanted to do things to protect the conscience rights of taxpayers in the short term and protect some pre-born children. And the Hyde Amendment has had a great track record of success. You know, I think that, you know, before Dobbs, our best legislative tool for stopping abortion was defunding it. And there's just good research showing once you quit paying for abortions with taxpayer dollars, abortion numbers go down. Even pro-abortion groups agree with this. Coop Walker, uh, they don't exactly shout this to the rooftop, but their own research shows pretty clearly that once states quit paying for abortion through the state Medicaid program, abortion rates fall. And I've done a lot of research on this. Would, my most recent estimates indicate the Hyde Amendment has saved over 2.5 million lives since really? 1976. Wow. So there's, you know, people, millions of people walking around today who owe their life for the Hyde Amendment. You know, people should not believe this idea that, you know, pro-life political involvement is a waste or it's all for naught. You know, millions of lives have just been saved just by getting the federal government out of the business of paying for elective abortions through Medicaid. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I think that's it, it's it, it's by holding the money back, by putting it into the minds of people, you know, that this is wrong. I mean, 
the 40 days for life, you know, they, they, they'd be praying in front of the abortion clinics. My wife and I have participated in that many times over the years. And, you know, people say, well, well you know, what do you accomplish by just standing out there and praying the rosary in front of an abortion clinic? What you do is somebody sees you, okay? Yep. Somebody knows you're doing it. And there are times that, you know, that that we've had people come by and want to talk and just, just you know, and just, you know, and just say, why are you, what what is your position here? It's because we just want to save lives, you know? And, and I think that, that's what it's all about. It's the sanctity of life. It's that every, you know, and I guess, you know, my generation, I think I'm, I'm a bit older than you are. Uh, you know, we, we, we dropped the ball. I came of age in the seventies and I will tell you something that, that, that it was a time of, of just a, a real moral collapse. And of course, Roe versus Wade came out of the seventies. So what does that tell you? And it was just that, that whole idea that, that, you know, this is like, you know, if it feels good, do it kind of thing. And, uh, and I think we paid, we, 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 we've really paid the price as a society for that because, I mean, the, the statistics, I mean, how many, you know, how many babies, how many lives have been lost through abortion and how many more we don't even really know about through like chemical abortion. And of course, you know, contraception, I mean, especially, you know, the chemical comp contraception and that. And it's, uh, and, and, and then at the same time, we have, you know, the West in general is 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 disappearing, you know, and, and the Fatima message, which is what I speak on and promote as the executive director of this apostolate. You know, uh, one thing Our Lady said that was uh, was very telling. She said nations could be annihilated. And of course, the first thing we thought of was nuclear war. Right. You know, yeah, and that's all possible. <clears throat> look at how we're annihilating ourselves through. Look at our, our, our this horrible birth rates in this this world in the West in general. I mean, uh, I read it. I read a stat just last week that in Italy, there was almost twice as many deaths as there were births in uh, in this past year. Maybe not quite, the, but close, you know, and uh, I think that's that's very, you know, and I do a lot in Western Europe and in Eastern Europe. And um, and, 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 you know, and then here in the United States, I mean, you see you see family sizes, you know, all of all of my friends all came from bigger families. That's <laughs> not the case anymore. So uh, it, it is uh, it's just a general. Um, disrespect for life okay or or maybe that, that that there's less of a necessity for life you know that you know and it has to go with the whole i think the selfishness of our age um i don't know you know how how self-fulfilling that actually is when you think about that when, when children are probably the, the the biggest uh asset anybody can have but you know we don't we don't look at it that way and that is a tool of the devil no doubt about it you know so uh but I guess, you know, going forward, I mean, I guess, we're, you know, we talk well, one thing that, that does bother me a lot is um, and I, as a constitutionalist, um, I look at how this this vote in Ohio went. And I think one of the things, the big thing they they it's like they, they paint it as being like an attack on democracy. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, well, you know, anybody should be able to vote on any issue. But we have constitutions. We have we have, you know, we have absolutes that we're supposed to live by. And that's why we have a constitution in this country. And unfortunately, that constitution has been attacked so strongly with this whole idea of direct democracy. And I think that was that was what came into play, I think, here in Ohio, where, you know, you have a right to make this decision and they'll make those decisions in, in November. But, you know, the amount of money that's going to be poured into that amendment <clears throat> that they're going to push through in November mm -hmm. in, in Ohio. And it's going to be brutal. <laughs> it truly yep. is. And you know that better than I do. You probably have the real numbers. And I think we we have to, uh, you know, we have to people have to understand that we have absolutes so that people don't make decisions out of emotion. You know, and they look in and see that there's uh, 
that this this is this is my issue and I'm just going to vote on it, not looking at the bigger picture. Uh, I um, I don't know. Is I mean, how do you look at that? I mean, as you know, as a person who fights the fight on the and in the state level, many places right now. You know, I mean, constitutions are important and they should be hard to change. You know, yeah. I think that uh, and if you're going to change a constitution, I think it should require a fairly broad consensus. And I don't think that allowing 50 percent plus one to change the constitution is a good idea. Uh, you see examples of that from California, where I used to live. You know, the problem is, is that, you know, voters can like something individually, uh, but, it, you know, there's trade-offs in place that they may not be thinking about. California voters want both low property taxes and all kinds of lavish public services. Yeah. You can't have both. Yeah. You know, and they may want them, you know, each piecemeal, but a legislator has to actually weigh the trade-offs a bit more than your average voter does and say, okay, if we cut taxes here, we can't afford these services, or if we have these services, we have to pay more in taxes. And those voters often don't really, you know, think of those things all that carefully sometimes. They idea comes up they happen to like and they don't really think about the, the whole picture so again i think that you know requiring a broader consensus to amend the constitution is perfectly reasonable it's very difficult to amend the u.s constitution as it should be it yeah. requires an amendment requires two-thirds of the house two-thirds of the senate three-fourths of the state legislatures we've only amended our constitution 27 times since the country was founded yeah. and i think that's just that's reasonable on the other hand the ohio constitution has been amended almost 200 times uh, that it's about, I think, almost nine times as long as the U.S. Constitution. And it just shouldn't, shouldn't be set up that way. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the issue one was reasonable. Um, you know, pro-lifers had our reasons for supporting it. But I think there were kind of good reasons otherwise to support such a measure. Um, it didn't pass, obviously. You know, it's a setback. It's a disappointment. But we shouldn't despair. As I kind of pointed out in my National Review Online article, it's not going to be easy but I do think Ohio pro-lifers still do have a pathway to victory in, in November. That would be wonderful. I mean, and, and and to win it in spite of this would be beautiful because it, it is, I think, I think, again, we have to focus on uh, what this is calling for. Because this goes beyond abortion. These, this, the, what they're promoting there is, is going to go way beyond just abortion. And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's going to take parental rights away from everything if it's, uh, if it's allowed to go through, I mean, you know that law better than I do. And what what else is in there that you see that is a danger? I mean, overall, you know, I think that not only with, with abortion, but I think that it may have some impact on you know transgender policy. You know, I think that frankly, children should not be allowed to take you know pills or drugs that you know suppress hormones or you know puberty blockers. Uh, I think that first of all, I think it should be illegal. But I certainly think if that does happen, you know, if it is legal, it should have parental parents should be involved. I mean, you're talking about children making, you know, life-changing decisions that in some cases can't necessarily be reversed. Yeah. And the notion that we just let children make, you know, life-changing decisions, you know, before their 18th birthday just is absurd to me. You know, yeah. I certainly think that there needs to be a parental role. And I don't even go so far as to argue that, you know, it should be banned until, you know, one's at least 18. Uh, that, uh, you know, children aren't worry. always in the best situations to make these kinds of decisions for themselves. So I think it could certainly have an impact there. It could even have an impact on things like, you know, contraception and contraception policy, things like sterilization. You know, I think that this is a real Pandora's box. And what's worse is it's a constitutional amendment. And once things are in the Constitution, they're tough to change, tough to get out. I mean, a statute can be amended, revised in certain ways, repealed. Constitutional amendments are are hard to, hard to you know, change. And uh, I think it could cause some permanent changes to Ohio public policy uh, that will clearly, you know, undermine a culture of life and it clearly have bad consequences for, for a lot of people. 
Yeah. Yeah. I lived in Ohio for well, about four years back in the late seventies. And um, yeah. And I, it, it kind of breaks my heart, you know, because I always look, I mean, I always thought that Ohio was a very, I lived in Cleveland in a suburb. I worked in the city and lived in the suburbs of Cleveland, but um, I, um, I always, you know, felt Ohio was a conservative state. <laughs> it was like one of these, you know, very, very Catholic, a lot of Catholic people there. And, and I was very ethnic. And I, I, I that's why I, I was surprised when I saw this battle playing out there, but it's everywhere. But if you look at the areas where, where it won, it was in the big urban areas. Okay. And I think that the narrative that's put out there by the media, you know, it just paints a picture that is so unrealistic to people. And I think that, again, I think the whole thing came out about this idea that, that you know, this, this pure democracy idea that, that we're so stuck on, I think, in this country. We have to look at that again. I mean, there are ideals that are bigger than we are. And we have to uh, acknowledge it and not only acknowledge it, but embrace these things because that's our, uh, you know, that's, that's what is the core of a uh, thing. We don't, we don't change for whim. And I think that's what this type of thing is going to bring on. If it, you know, unfortunately, I, I I pray that 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 that's it's one in Ohio. I think it's going to be, uh, and I I know you're you know, and, and so many other pro life people are fighting hard. Um, but how do you know do does our side, if you will, you know, um, you know, you're, I mean, I'm saying that the media stokes these emotions, as I just said, to such a great degree. How do we counter that? We don't own the media. Let's be realistic. We do have our outlets, uh, but we don't have the big horn that's out there. What is the strategy that the, the pro-life movement, people like yourself, are looking to to counter this current? I mean, it's tough. I mean, the media is not our friend. They're not our ally. You know, thankfully, they're not as powerful as they used to be. I mean, thankfully, we do have alternative outlets podcasts like this one and you know we do have uh conservative and christian media outlets that you know we can certainly you know that will allow us to present our arguments uh i think a lot of it though isn't necessarily gonna be a media strategy it's gonna be a grassroots strategy i think it's gonna be knocking on doors talking to friends phone calls i think everybody in ohio who's a christian should approach their pastor their priest and ask them to talk about this amendment you know during the church services during during mass and if the pastor or the priest won't do it Talk yourself, you know, you can't sit this one out. And, you know, you don't need to be Superman. You don't need to be an expert on everything. You just need to be a pro-life person of good conscience and goodwill and stand up before, you know, people in your church and explain why this is important. You know, yeah. if you don't do it, maybe nobody else will. So, again, people sometimes have to do things, you know, outside their comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not always easy. I uh, I run, I help run a pro-life sidewalk housing ministry outside the D.C. Planned Parenthood. Uh, I joke it's both the best and the worst thing I do every week. Uh, yeah. It's not, you know, the most of the pro-life work I do is fun. I like writing, researching. I love podcasts like this. I love to hear myself talk. These are all fun, pleasant things to do. Work myself in front of the plant here for a couple hours. No, that's not fun. Yeah. You know, I don't get much support from passers-by, neither do my friends. You know, we don't, our batting average isn't great, but it's not zero either. And even when we don't succeed, we're still a powerful witness. You know, we still prayed. You know, yeah. our prayers are heard. And oh, yeah. you're still a strong witness. And, you know, conversations do happen. Good things do happen in front of us sometimes because we showed up that day. So I would just encourage, you know, pro-lifers in Ohio, elsewhere, you know, get out of your, out of your comfort zone. You know, uh, this is winnable, but it's going to take a lot of effort. You know, if you can, whatever you can do to help, do. If it's financial, whether it's time. And again, I still would encourage everyone, approach your pastor, approach your priest, ask them to talk about it. And again, if they won't volunteer yourself, and uh, make the best case you can to your fellow fellow church members. Well, we're on a winning team. There's no doubt about it. 
it truly is. I mean, we do have, you know, this is a battle that will be won eventually. I mean, but again, yeah, there, there is a price that's being paid as we go along. And I, and I, I don't know, I, I just believe that, of course, again, we promote the message of Fatima, which, you know, which talks about the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, you know, through, you know, through prayer and sacrifice. And that's really what it comes down to. I think, you know, God will, they say, when will God intervene? Well, he intervenes through us. Yeah. You know, we have to get out there, like doing what you're doing, getting out of your comfort zone, being willing. You know, that's not, yeah, that's not my thing. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not always happy to be out and do, but, but sometimes just a comment that might be made to you lets you know that you're reaching somebody. Mm -hmm. I think we have to show the hypocrisy of these organizations and primarily Planned Parenthood. I mean, they have just, you know, there's, I mean, I, you know, I can, I don't have to tell you the, the history of the organization. But I mean, I, I um, uh, one pro-lifer pointed out was that it was at a, an abortion clinic and on the wall they had the sign uh, Black Lives Matter. It was in an yep. urban area. Right. And then probably 70 percent of the young women going in there were, were minority women. Well, excuse yep. me, how much do they matter if you're doing this? OK, <laughs> if they really matter, close down, you know, and, and, and yep. stop murdering these people, because that's really what's happening. And it's uh, and, and and it's sad because which obviously the founding of that was was very much a racist thing and 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 it's just it's 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 just I, I think again you know we have to like you said get out of our comfort zone we have to understand that there's more to being you know uh, a pro lifer of being a Catholic and I I very I mean in a way I'm not happy about these these setbacks that have happened in the last year since the Dobbs decision but I will tell you. Um, and I gave a talk about a year ago at an event, and I said, "Now we're going to see if we're truly pro-life or not." <laughs> you know, and I'm not a, I'm not a pro-life advocate per se. I just, uh, but I was saying, now we're going to see if we're actually a pro-life country. If we people are we going to put our money where our mouth is, and mm -hmm. to a great degree, it's been done. Like you said, there are states where 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 abortion has been, you know, uh, pushed back and even illegal. Which God bless them for for doing that. And there are other places. I mean, I come, you know, I'm here in New Jersey, uh, which is, you know. And not not the most pro-life state, let's be realistic. And I come from Chicago, from Illinois, which is very bad in that regard. But, um, you know, but you don't give up. We just don't give up. And I think that's really what it comes down to. And I, and I, I really applaud people like yourself who are who are out there and, you know, kind of just in fighting the fight. OK, you know, and inspiring us to do so, because that's really what it takes. You know, we have to. You know, we have to, uh, uh, you know, we, we just have to be there and be willing and. And and you know stand up at the right times you know but uh, anything else you'd like to you'd like to tell our listeners I mean as as far as what we you know little encouragement going forward here yeah, sure lots of encouragement I mean one thing I'll, I'll tell pro life people is that you know overturning Roe was a big victory but we were never promised a smooth glide path to victory you know we're still in this fight there's going to be setbacks disappointments aggravations you know don't get discouraged you know that uh, we've as a movement we've done a lot of good. I mean, one thing I always talked about, even when Roe v. Wade was on the books, is success we had getting abortion numbers down. Uh, between 1980 and 2017, we cut the abortion rate down by more than half, you know, and that yeah. gets almost no attention. You know, only a handful of analysts like me who follow these numbers closely talk much about this at all. So if the abortion rate today was what it was back at its peak in 1980, there'd be a million more abortions taking place every year. And one thing that's interesting is the reason why abortion numbers have fallen uh, isn't because, you know, unintended pregnancy rates have fallen all that much. You know, the unintended pregnancy rates have fluctuated. What has happened is that a higher percentage of women who face unintended pregnancies carry that pregnancy in term. And we actually have that data from Guttmacher, which, again, is not sympathetic to us at all. 
So I mentioned this to every pro-life audience, so listen to me. Like roughly in the 90s, half of all out of 10 pregnancies were aborted. Uh, the most recent data we have indicates only a third now are aborted. And I always mention this because it shows that pro-life efforts are effective. If more unintended pregnancies are being carried to term, it's because of one of three reasons. Either changing hearts and minds, or offering more help for pregnant women in need, or we're passing strong pro-life laws. So it's pro-life education, service, legislation, it all adds up. So, you know, again, we're going to have setbacks. We're going to have aggravation along the way. All it's the not going to be a smooth glide path to victory. But we've done a lot of good. You know, the oh, yeah. fact we've got the abortion rate down by more than half really does show that you know, our efforts are paying some real dividends. We're saving lives every day. So, again, you know, don't be discouraged by what happened in Ohio on Tuesday. Uh, you know, keep building a culture of life. Um, do what you're called to do. And don't be afraid to go outside your comfort zone. You know, sometimes we need to do things that aren't always fun and pleasant or easy. Uh, but I think God does bless and reward those efforts. And uh, there's often a good payoff in the end. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's exactly it, Michael. And I think, you know, you know, it's a battle. We're going to win. It's a, you know, we, we know how it works. Back from St. Paul saying we're going to win. Our Lady of Fatima saying Immaculate Heart will triumph. We're going to, we're on the right side of this battle. We just have to Stay the course. And as my dear friend, the late Father Andrew Apostoli used to say to us, he said, Dave, the devil doesn't shoot at decoys. And we're all going to have a lot of, we're going to be hit a lot with things. And that's fine because we're doing the right thing. But, well, Michael, I want to really thank you so much for giving us that perspective of hope and uh, and for being on today. You know, um, it's a, the fight for life is, is a fight of our day. We know that. And you mentioned Bishop Strickland earlier, and he I, he's been quoted as saying that this is the hill to die on. So, you know, and he's right. I mean, this is it, because if we don't have life, you don't have anything else. You start with life, you know. So, again, thank you for being here today. And thank you, folks, for, for watching. And please subscribe to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you.